0: I am not thrown away my shot. I am not thrown away my shot. know I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not thrown away my shot.
1: I'm going a scholarship. And a scholarship welcome, everyone, to this week's Weekly Yes And podcast. I'm your host, Travis Thomas, the host of The Yap and the creator of Live Yes And. And this is a bonus podcast in our entrepreneur series that we've been doing for the last few months where I get a chance to to interview different entrepreneurs from all over the world who are sharing how they got to doing what they're doing their story, the adversity, the why, the inspiration behind doing everything that they do and hopefully sharing a few helpful tools and insights that will speak to you out there who is possibly wanting to uh, to go off on your own, to start your own hobby or, or turn that hobby into a business. And so hopefully all of our entrepreneurs are, are sharing a little bit of that inspiration. So before we jump in to today's podcast with our guest Linda Brogan, I want to remind all of you that my book, Three Words for Getting Unstuck, Live Yes And, is available on Amazon Kindle or as an audiobook on uh, CD Baby. So if you go to cdbaby.com, you can find it there. And uh, that's, the, uh, that's the extent of my shameless plug for today. Let's get to our guest today. Uh, really, really interesting woman. Her name is um, Linda Brogan, uh, and uh, she has lived a storied life, and she gets into it. It's kind of the inspiration behind who she is and what she does now. Uh, but at the age of 16, uh, she saw her boyfriend gunned down and murdered in front of her. Um, she got into writing, became a playwright. Uh, was introduced to meditation at a young age, but kind of dismissed it until later in life. Um, she's an award-winning playwright, uh, and uh, and then again, like I said, years later is when meditation kind of really hit her uh, in her sweet spot, uh, and has had a very transformational impact on her. She now. Um, is interested in helping others. Again, she's, she's still writing, um, and, uh, she actually has a project right now where she is reopening the club, uh, where her, uh, where her boyfriend was, was killed. And it's also the club that, uh, this is in England, where, uh, where so many different artists and, and different people like herself congregated. And it was kind of that place where, uh, they had their own sense of tribe. Uh, and so that is her, passion right now. Uh, In this podcast, she talks more about that and what that means to her, as well as just the different Uh, adversity and struggle uh, that she has gone through in these past years, including uh, some of the racial issues that came up with her uh, as a playwright and her directing. Um, And uh, she talks about, again, her project that she's working on right now that is actually launching uh, right now as, uh, as we launch this podcast. So let's please welcome Linda Brogan to the Weekly Yap. Hello, Linda. How are we doing today?
0: Fabulous, Travis.
1: Hello to you. Oh, Linda, uh, uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Now, you're over in England, correct? How are things in England right now? Um, stable. It's kind of nice because it's
0: October, but it's nice outside. It's kind of warm enough to just have, you know, your jumper on. So that's lovely.
1: Yes, yes. Well, uh, I was just up in the, uh, the northern part of the United States recently, got to enjoy uh, a few days of fall weather um, which we really don't get down here in Florida what we do get is hurricanes and that's what we just <laughs> lived through here recently so uh, so uh, we, we would much rather prefer uh, the fall weather to the hurricanes but uh, um, uh, glad to hear uh, that uh, that everyone was safe down here and uh, just really excited to talk to you Lynn and I want to jump right in because um, uh, from what I have read about you and what you have shared, um, has it's just really inspiring. So I don't even really know where to start, but um, if someone were to ask you right now, Linda, what do you do? What's your answer for them? At the minute, I'm producing a
0: huge community project, but my background is I'm a playwright.
1: And how did you get into uh, becoming a playwright?
0: because when I was really little right I was just a fabulous writer I don't even know why you know like I just used to be able to write poems you know like I don't know if you write but you know if a really great poem or something that's really worth writing it starts and then it stops it does its own thing and I was just always able to do that as a kid and then like I went but Um, From my background, that's not something that you thought you could be, you know, like Mm. as an adult. So I just kind of like left it alone, went off in my life and that. And then when I was about 30, to be dead honest, right?
1: (laughs) Please, please Uh, be honest.
0: Yeah. Um, My husband had an affair, right? But he had when I was like 30. Yeah, yeah, I'd be 30. Okay. Yeah, um, not like a big flagrant one that I knew anything about. He'd gone away, he'd gone away for a reason, and kind of like had a bit of a holiday romance. But what upset me when he when I did find out was that she was a jeweler, you know, like because she had this like title, right? Something woke up in me like, well, it, I want to be something. So I was more upset about that. Plus, also, I just started doing. Um, meditation techniques that I'd had for 10 years but I just started practicing them so the two things kind of came together in me
1: so so it sounds like the 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 part of uh of the affair that really struck you more than anything was uh the sense of of you feeling like what sort of what is your what is your purpose you know who are you and 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 what do I want to do is that correct
0: absolutely absolutely it was like, yeah, I had this talent. Like, Travis, when I was little, right, I was really competitive with shows about the affair as well. <laughs> yeah, but I was really competitive in school, and we used to do these, like, reading books, and, you know, like, I'd have to have, like, eight stars ahead and things, you know, and I'd be really watching the board for anyone that might have three stars and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I was only about five, and I kind of, like, like always had... And because of that, my mum and dad really pushed me. I was really quite hothoused and I was supposed to go to university and this, that and the other. But when I was about 15 or 16, love got in the way and I kind of like fell in love with the wrong sort. Well, he wasn't the wrong sort. I do love him and I still love him, but he was a gambler and this is really confused and really weird, but... My dad, my mum is white and my dad is black. My mm-hmm. dad's Jamaican, and the really, really weird thing was that my dad hated him because he was black. Because I think in my dad's mind, he born in nineteen twenty six, that there's no hope with a black man. Do you know what I mean? There's no hope of a better life, so. I ended up falling in love, losing the opportunity for university, leaving home because my dad couldn't stand it. And then, because um, Ivan was a gambler, the girlfriend, his other girlfriend, who he was using for money, this is wonderful stuff, isn't it? So <laughs> yeah. I was 16, <laughs> yeah, I was 16 and she was 28 and um, she stabbed him to death on my doorstep.
1: Okay. Yep. Yeah. At when you were 16. Yep. All right. So, so where, where do things go from there? You're, 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 16 and your, your boyfriend has, uh, just been, uh, uh, killed in front of you. What, what was next for you?
0: Repair the relationship with my dad. I couldn't go home because my dad had just, I don't know, I'd failed, you know, like I'm supposed to go to university and be wonderful and all that. And he couldn't swallow it. It did eventually get sorted. But so from there, I kind of went back to my old gang, you know, like your old gang when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. But they'd moved on. So instead of going to like sort of like Genevieve's and you know, like disco type clubs we ended up going into the wrong side of town <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. and down this like down into this club called the reno right which from the out it's really weird i'm doing this is where i'm doing the project right and i just did like um, an interview on a newspaper and um the people who know the reno from the outside call it a den of iniquity and you know like are really awful about it and they yeah. were writing back. Newspaper, I hope Linda's going to tell the truth, you know, like this. But us inside of that club, we were a family. Hmm. Yeah. So I suppose to answer your question, I went from like that death and in them, because it's 1976 and nobody talked about the feelings, nothing got sorted out. I didn't have a family. So I suppose they became my family.
1: And so is that where you began sort of spending all of your time?
0: Absolutely, because when we went down, when I'm born in nineteen in the 1959, and around that time, it was a terrible thing to be half black and half white. I didn't completely realise that till I was older, but. Yeah, you know, like, well, they used to have on the doors no blacks, no dogs, no Irish, Mm. you know, it might be the way around, you know, like, and it was just like, you know, like, white women that went with black men were a disgrace, and Mm -hmm. black men were just after all the women and stuff like that, so I didn't realise that it was affecting me until the night I went into the Reno, and me and my two friends, Mandy and Susie, we were both, all three of us, well, we were called half-caste at the time, which we prefer, and we when we went, we were the only three, kind of, besides my brothers and sisters, that we knew. But when we walked into the Reno, it was wall-to-wall, half-caste. Do you know, it was just all these, like, dudes and, you know, like, this, like, feeling. And we kind of knew something about each other without talking about it. Right. Yeah.
1: And so, yeah, so there was this sort of this sense of understanding and belonging
0: Absolutely. From the from that very first night,
1: we didn't leave for about six years. And so, during that time, I mean, what was what was that like for you? Uh, what was your pursuit like? What was your you know your your passion? What what were you sort of doing, I guess, internally as well as externally at that time? Um, externally, the major
0: the, <laughs> the major activity was avoid work at all cost. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so yeah so the the major activity was a true entrepreneur's life you know like that you do as little as possible right (laughs) and and to be quite honest we was all criminals of some type you know like you're not going to avoid work really so like things like yeah yeah no that's the truth yeah. Shall so, I carry on? or so Shall just, I keep? It going? That's
1: okay. So you're just doing a lot. <laughs> so you're just doing a lot of hustling during that time. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're you're doing. Uh, you're sort of with your tribe. You know, people yeah. that you, you. Yeah. You guys get each other. You're kind of doing your hustling uh, on the outside. What was going on internally for you during that time?
0: During that time internally. Wow. That's a big question. Um. Oh. Oddly, right, I always paint the picture that everybody expects to see, you know, that we were criminals and that. But, you know, really oddly, Travis, we was looking for God and we was really reading about Buddha and Krishna and black power and... You know, like alternative life yeah. things, and yeah, because it's the 70s, remember as well, and that's right. all around us, you know. But we're not just kind of like on a trend of something. It's like the whole of society is corrupt. We're ideal, you know. Like to to us, it's not. We don't even feel like criminals. It's like, well, they do their shit. We're going to do ours. Right. Do you know? What I mean, they're all criminals as well. And yeah, so no, we really used to. And, Really read about communism and you know socialism and all to and have huge huge debates. That's how I end up getting the four techniques of meditation from a guy called Prem Rawat. Yeah, in nineteen eighty one.
1: Okay, so you're you're introduced to meditation in eighty one. Did that have an immediate impact on you, or 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 did it take some time to sort of uh, uh, (laughs) um, work into a practice? It took years. What happened to begin with first
0: was that, I don't know, you know, if you start to change in yourself and you start to feel part of society, you start to feel more powerful in yourself. Mm -hmm. What I did... I don't know what anybody else does. But what I did and what my husband did was instead of going along with all the practice and all the learning that we'd done, we walked into the world. You know, like it's like, oh, I can do anything now. I can see through these people. So we became drug dealers. When I say, dr- <laughs> you know, so instead of practicing the, the four techniques of meditation, and when I say drug dealers, it wasn't nothing harsh. It was just weed, but, you know, like really got, kind of got good at it, you know, like an entrepreneur again, you know. Like it was a proper business. Yeah. 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 So and um, so we kind of got lost in that world of, you said, know, does that make sense? You know, like Siddhartha and that. You know, instead of that, you follow the path that's now been laid out for you and you've asked for peace and you want content, you said you wanted to meet God. Instead of sitting down and looking for God and being one with God. The world is its not even a distraction. It's like I was nobody, but I can be somebody in this world. And you kind of get tricked. So that went on from 81 to 89. But we was making that much money that I never went in the kitchen, you know, and things like that. But my husband became an alcoholic. And that's partly
1: because of the lifestyle you lead, you know, because where you do your business deals and things like that. And so, yeah. So you're sort of staying, sort of in a uh, uh, in a lifestyle that, uh, even though you've taken on this this new healthier way of, of, of looking at life, you, the day-to-day lifestyle isn't necessarily sort of supporting or nurturing that uh, that internal growth.
0: No, because from our background, or from my background, oh, I don't know, it's kind of shameful to be good. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, to be, like, holy yeah. and nice and positive and yeah. whatever the things are, you know, like... Well, it like, in the Reno as well, and I'm not kind of putting us down, but it was as much that if there was a fight, us girls would have been expected to be part of it and we would have expected to be part of it. Right. And there's one clear thing that shows what I'm trying to say to me, is that when my husband's dog was run over, when he kept, oh, I'm gonna cry. When he came back into the garden holding his dog, I did not know how to comfort him. I remember just standing looking through the window. Hmm. And, yeah. Does
1: that make sense? Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like more from a uh, from a from a survival standpoint. Um, yeah. To be good, probably meant to be weak.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. and so, when did when did things sort of shift for you, um, and, and that you really uh, got involved with uh, uh, with becoming a playwright? What? How how did you end up leaping back into that world of being a writer?
0: I said, um, wh- I started doing my me meditation and Tom did and we were supposed to be kind of like happy, do you know we had about four years of everything being as it should be and then God knows why, but he went to um, Columbia not to do a drug deal but to do an Aikido thing because he'd started doing Aikido and I'd started thinking about a write- being a writer mm-hmm. and he went off and then he came back and then he'd had this like, misdemeanour, do you know what I mean and it was like no, I'm going to change now. You know, when something just kicks you in, it's like, no, and yeah, there was a little spate, there was a a spate in 89 where it become so bad with the drink and kind of abusive and stuff like that with the drink that I'd left then, you know, like to kind of go and be a writer. But what I did was go to the library and write a few short stories. Then we got... Yeah, then we got back together, and then for four years it was kind of the life that people tell you you should lead, you know, as a family. Then he did his misdemeanor, and then it was like no. And then I become hell bent on becoming something.
1: Hmm. And, and yeah. And, and so, so what did that look like for you from a uh, from a shift uh, standpoint? Um,
0: any writing class. I didn't have any money at the time because when we stopped selling weed and stuff like that and we went to do our meditation we started completely scratch we got rid of everything that had come from bad blood so we had no money so um so that meant that any kind of like lessons or whatever were free so i'd have to win places on writing courses and and travel quite far across the country you know to go to them so i just became absolutely focused but I also had another principle working at the same time that I was going to learn my craft and I was not going to get produced until I was I knew I was ready, Hmm. you know. So, yeah. So I didn't want to do any little shitty plays or any like, you know, help people or anything in schools. I wanted to go on at the Royal Court, which is like, you know, like the cult theater in England, you Mm -hmm. know, that gets like, and everybody used to laugh in my face. But you know what, Travis, that's what happened.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and how did that happen?
0: Because I did it, because for five years, I used to do things like, like, um, death of a salesman, I would get it. And then for three months, I would unpack every sentence, you know, like, so to know how he put it together.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But then I learned this other skill called, I don't know if you've heard of mind mapping. Yes yes yeah where you draw you know like so i don't pack every sentence he wrote but in pictures and therefore i was teaching myself to write with images inside you know like on the backwards of that you know um what's that reverse engineering of that yes yes is that yeah if i'm gonna um you know like write, i draw a picture first and then i change that picture into dialogue so, so that was part of it, and then another part was just entirely having my voice. So even if I was scared about what I was about to say in my play, I, if the more scared I was, the more I must say it.
1: And was this was this? So you're unpackaging sort of these uh, these these class <laughs> these classic plays, uh, yeah. And you're breaking you're breaking them down, and you're sort of breaking them down, recreating them, putting them back together. Was this? Was this a technique that you just came up with, or or, or had you learned that uh, that technique? I think
0: it was a technique that I just ke- came up with. Mm. There was two, two plays that I love beyond anything. I love Streetcar Named Desire, and I love Death of a Salesman. I think they're immaculate, you know, like and yeah, in the way that they're written, what they're saying, what they're talking about. So no, I just thought, well, if if I know how he did it, do you know. Yeah, if I just spend all, and that came from in meditation, you know, to be able to slow myself down and to be able to be in the moment now, as opposed to, you know, going for something that's not really mine yet.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll talk talk about that connection a little bit between the um, what meditation was doing for you and how that was sort of impacting. Uh, your your writing as well, and you, you talk about meditation with, with, was helping you, helping you stay in the moment. Can you can you talk more about that?
0: Yeah, all my life I'd been bullied in one kind of aspect or another. But what it was, what, why I would get bullied, is because I don't quite fit. You know, like even though I'm in the gang, I'm a geek. Do you know what I mean? But I'm not enough a geek to not be in the gang. Mm-hmm. You know, like or yeah, and and so I've always kind of and what meditation did for me was it started to enable me to believe that I am who I am. You know, and so being in that moment it would it would make me brave enough to kind of let other people be who I perceive them as playing to be, and you know, playing the character of walking on the stage. I am this character because I never seem to get the character right. Do you know what I mean? On you know, like people, some people look fully fledged in their character, and mine never quite worked proper. So what the meditation did was allow me to know that that was all right.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so. You become pretty successful as a playwright. I did, and and then in in twenty uh, in twenty ten two thousand ten. Can you can you explain sort of sort of what happened there um, with you and uh, and the show that you were working on and the and the director and, and 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 what happened there?
0: Yeah, all this right. There's a few little nodules before I can get there. Is that? I was successful, absolutely, and I'd been on at major theatres and I've won really good prizes and things, but all the time inside of the system, I would feel afraid, I would... ..that they were better than me, I knew it was coming from internally and historically because of my colour, because of my working class, do you know and I knew that they weren't doing anything to me intentionally you know, that they're living inside of their class and their colour and I'm living inside of mine so, you know, like there was always like a friction inside me and inside of them as well, do you know but it was, you know, but after you know, you spend a few days with somebody you get beyond that, don't you, and things even out and things. So um, so I went to, to begin with, I went to New York with um, this company to um, do Uncle Tom's Cabin, you know, like with, um, I can't remember the name, a famous kind of black theatre court in um, Uh New York that's got a great name that I can't remember. Okay. And and while we were there, it was these two white middle class ladies who wanted to put it on but when i say middle class they're high born english middle class mm-hmm. okay. do you know what i mean which means he talk with a certain voice and it's not just money do you know what i mean like and it's generational so when we're in new york and then um, we're sat in the circle and i noticed that you know like what well, it goes you know to introduce yourself. So I introduced myself as I do, but I noticed that, you know, that the black actors, they introduced themselves with the great schools that they'd been to, you know, like Stanford and things, you know, like really amazing. I was like gobsmacked, she, you know, like uh, in the. Uh, sorry?
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, yes. I just. Yeah. I, Go ahead.
0: So they're so they're introducing it. So, but when it comes to working on the play, right, and we work, and working on like you know, like a Topsy and you know, like Little Eva and Uncle Tom and mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. These two, there's like thirty of us, right, including me and the Black Actors. But these two white middle class women, right, are just the leaders. It's you can't dispute it. It's like whacking off them right? You know, I think, it, you know, when you're away from home, you see things slightly differently, don't you?
1: Sure. Yes.
0: You've got a slightly different perspective. So this has probably always happened in England, but I've just not been that aware of it. So, so like, I'm like, what, you know, like what I'm thinking, wow, this is like amazing. You know, and crazy. Yeah. So like, but when they're like, when they're sort of saying do Topsy or do whatever, they're not asking See, I'm a very different person now Travis to what I was then so I wouldn't quite see it as clearly as I'm going to say it but they weren't asking like oh unpack you know like unpack Topsy what does Topsy do what does she how does she feel does she feel warm at this moment you know, right. you know from your own theatre background you know those kind of questions they were just kind of like which is typical to what I feel about black and white now actually they were just kind of like Mm caricaturing her, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and stuff like that. But then they had, like, the greatest respect for, I cannot remember his name, towards the end of the book, is it Liga, the really awful slave guy, who, but he loves his black slave, you know, like, Mm -hmm. secretly, yeah? But they really, like, love unpacking him, do you know what I mean? So, anyway, I noted it, we came home, they decided not to do Uncle Tom because, you know, like, it was lots of different issues. So we came home and then decided to do this play about um two English black twins, two girls who had really, really lived in nineteen eighty one, right? And they were elect mutes, which means they could talk but they'd chosen not to talk. From for like ten years they only spoke to each other. Okay. And yeah. So we decided that this is was because they couldn't assimilate, you know, into you know, like, at the time, when I look at it now, Travis, I was racist to myself. i seen the world. You know, I did see that black people had less value. You know, yeah, I can't undo it from myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so... So what these two twins did in real life was that they burnt down their school in 1981 and they were put in Broadmoor. Now, this happens in America a lot as well, you know, that you get a harsher sentence because of the colour of your skin. There's some um, things that are trying to get overturned now, aren't they, where people have got life sentences or the death penalty 20 years ago because they said he was more likely to offend because he's black. Right. Well... Well, these two black twins have been perceived in this manner. So when they get sent to Broadmoor, this is where our famous serial killers are. You know, and they're just two girls who have burnt their school down at night. They've not burnt the school down in the day. Right. And I worked out that at the time the whole of England's burning from riots, you know, like and they're stuck in Wales, just these two isolated black girls. So in my mind they probably just wanted to join in with the riots. Yeah. Right. So we write this great play. Right. So I've just got to have a quick drink. So we write this great play. So we're sat in rehearsal. So for a week in rehearsal, I'm thinking, I'm sure because these two twins are the main characters, aren't they? And they've got a psychiatrist and a boyfriend who are very, very secondary characters yeah so so for a week i'm thinking i'm sure she is asking the white actors what they think you know the director and i'm sure she's telling the black actors what to think and she seems to be getting them to fight an awful lot you know which she wouldn't do you know in my mind with two nice white actresses right you know treating them like animals so i sat through it for a week and then on the, on the Saturday, because I didn't even have the courage to say it to her face, On the, you know, because, again, she's like this high, high, you know, white middle class, and I'm this low, low, half-caste working class. So I sent her an email, you know, just saying in black and white what I thought was happening for the good of the play, you know, like, because if they're not getting on pat, they're not going to be true characters, you know, on stage, right? So the next day, on the Sunday, the director wrote back on the email, she was like, hysterical, you know, like, I've been up all night, you know, you said that I'm a racist, right? So Travis, I just, I was like, you know, like when you're so scared of something happening, so it felt like, this is what I've always been scared of, you know, that fear of, you know, upsetting somebody who is white and better than me, well, it's just happened, do you know what I mean? Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. So, so, so I didn't even know how to respond. You know, like, because another thing that happens a lot when you're black, and I've heard a lot of black people talk about this recently. You know, in th- things that I've been reading, is that if you respond angrily, you you feel that like you're going to pers- be perceived like a zulu, basically. Do you know what I mean? You're always checking your feelings about. So. Like, part of me felt quite vindictive, you know, like, oh, there you go, I hope you're upset, you know what I mean, with what you've been doing all week, right? But another part of me was, like, just terrified, oh, my God, you know, the mistress is going to beat me and do whatever. You know, it literally felt like that, but I just left it alone because I didn't know what to do. So later on that afternoon her partner who was the artistic director in their company she got on board to sort it out you know she rang up but again when she was talking to me if you think about what I've asked for Travis I've asked for us to look at how the play is being directed i am not asked about do you know what I mean anything about colour per se I've just asked for us to check our perspectives on this play mm-hmm. and maybe we might find out that this is really happening. Right, but, but all I've done, what well, all she's seen is, uh, is that I've, I've, I've upset her. Do you right. know what I mean? So, right. so the arts, the co-director gets on board, at uh, the co-artistic director, and she wants me to back down in the favour of the director. You know, like. You know, it's dead obvious by the conversation, but I don't want to back down. But I'm not saying anything. So during the conversation, she says, Well, at least you're not being aggressive.
1: Oh. Classic
0: racism. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you know what I mean? So I come off that phone call. So, But I still haven't... back Because I'm still saying, look, we. St- this is all we have to do. It's not about her, me, or anything. This is all we have to do. Because as I'm more saying that, I'm getting less afraid. And I'm getting more like, no, really, this is all we have to do. Do you know what I mean? So on the Monday, nothing's been sorted out. When I'm supposed to be going to rehearsal, I get an email in the morning. And it says... Um, when you go into rehearsal, make sure... Oh, do not... When you go into rehearsal, do not speak, right? Do not speak at all in rehearsal. Only speak to the director when you are sure she has eaten and only speak for 20 minutes. And you can and only speak for 20 minutes when she's going home if you want to ask her something, right? So inside, <laughs> I became flaming, you know? Yeah. And it, do you want do you want to say something, Travis?
1: No, no, keep going.
0: So, listen to the language, though. Do you know what I mean? It really is now. They really blatantly are now saying that her life is worth more than mine. Because what if I'm hungry? Or what if I haven't got 20 minutes? Or what if I've got one hour of notes? I've wrote this play. You know? So, So, all I wrote back was... You do realise that this play is called Speechless, right? And you are making the two original characters, the two original twins from 1981 speechless if you don't unpack them. You're making the two modern-day actresses who were also frightened like me and wouldn't say anything speechless if they don't unpack it. And you are literally making me speechless. Do you see the irony? Right? So nothing was said. About two hours later, their producer came on the phone and said, Linda, don't come to rehearsal tomorrow, and if you do, the police
1: will remove you. And you're, and you're the playwright? I'm the playwright. <laughs> okay. So what happened?
0: So the person that I, I, I imploded, to be dead perfectly honest— I, I, part of me thought you should go to rehearsal. You should make a stink with the papers. But what happened was the reality of the matrix of racism became too powerful for me. I, be, you know, like I just I thought no, everything that I've been avoiding and and don't want to be part of and don't want to be—it's true. Do you know what I mean? Because I felt so powerless and everybody inside of their company was more powerful than me, even their producer that he could set. And all I could feel was if I went, it would be like a lynching. Hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, at the very least, a good showing up.
1: And so and so you decided not to go. And, I decided not to go. And, and as a result uh, uh, sort of where did that, where did that sort of take you from there?
0: Um, as a result, so I started I started I, I haven't been to theater since. I just started to want to know why I was so afraid, right? What are the historical things that made me so afraid? And what is going on inside of me? Do you know what I mean? Because I can't control what anybody else does, but I can control how I feel about a situation. So I started to kind of like read authentic slave narratives. You know, like, and really write about me all the time, but knowing that nobody was ever going to see it. So I started to shift away from the classic plays and and started to even see all that as false, because all of that is again to um, a society. While well, the two plays that I structurally love are both white plays and I don't want to sound racist and just stuck in, you know, my principles, but I did need to look at it at the time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so and so for the past six years, what has you know, what has that, that journey and path looked like for you?
0: Just it's kind of, it's been like a retreat. That's the it. only it's been like a writing sabbatical retreat only with me. I've continually wrote for the last six years. I've wrote plays, I've wrote novels, I've wrote um what's that word? I've wrote plays, novels, um oh T V series and all of them I knew was not fit for consumption. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? For any book but, but I had to get over a barrier you you know yeah that's exactly the word over a barrier and also I had to somehow go backwards so i had to learn i had to know all the skills that i've got through the journey that i've made in the playwriting world which i'm really really grateful for and the power that that gave me inside of myself to go from little linda in that club in the in the hole in the ground to being on at major theatres and how that made me feel confident but i had to go i had to travel back to that linda to that linda with that voice
1: and is is that the barrier that you you had to get over? Yeah, yeah. To stop wanting people to applaud me mm. in the
0: world of, of that they want the world to be, and to kind of like that, no, there's, there's there's other dimensions in this world. Sorry to say it, but there is other dimensions in this world.
1: And so, where you are today, is there <clears throat> is there a sense of uh, of, of more authenticity? Are, are you feeling? more comfortable and 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 powerful in your skin absolutely Abs-
0: absolutely travis i feel powerful but in a nice way you know like in a mellow way not powerful you know like you can feel powerful wrong mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah but uh, because of this because because what i'm actually gonna do now is the club that I um, used to go to as a teenager was demolished in 1986 okay yeah so I'm gonna go and it was a cellar club so they've demolished the top building into the cellar so I'm gonna go and dig it up you know with archaeologists and do it as an archaeological study like an anthropological archaeological study and um Yeah, so I've got funding from Arts Council England, which is great for my time for a year, you know, like so I can, like, concentrate. And then we're putting in a Heritage Lottery Fund bid, you know, like for, it'd be about £150,000 all in all, you know, like for, you know, all the machinery and stuff. But, But before we get to the actual dig, which is next March, on a website... I'm going to collect our stories that was in that club. You know, whoever is left alive, because we, we died kind of pretty early. But so for all of us half caste who was born, you know, like around 90, in the 50s, who were kind of like stigmatized by the Fletcher Report, and things that would say things like um, offspring of interracial relationships are born with mental and physical defects, which we've been harbouring. You know, mm. like people spat in our prams when we were a baby. Do you know what I mean? I don't know my white cousins. I didn't recognise my me mum's me white... Aunt. My white aunt's at my mum's funeral, you know, and all that stigma, all that stuff that that I've been harbouring. And I know these people harbour and what we recognised in each other in that club and didn't talk about. Well, we're going to talk about it openly on our own website. And I would love other people to interact with what we're talking about. You know, and kind of like... But it's a great thing to be from both cultures because you do see both sides right and whether, yeah and whether people like to say it or not and want to say we're all the same we're not you know those two races my dad and my mom were very different people you know very different races and it was nothing to do with color in some respects it was just two different cultures you know and that was a lot to live with as a kid You know, those two, you know, pulling against each other on what is valuable to one Mm -hmm. and not valuable to the other. But my mum and dad were together till the day they died. They weren't a fling. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah so that's what so that's what I'm going to do is collect our things from so the website goes live next Monday and it's called it's got a name now it's called thereno.live yeah so and um, we're going to start collecting our stories and the trapped I'm going to tell the story of 1971 the rise of the flat jacket some that's when we were all looking for Buddha and stuff like that yes uh, no well I'm not down there yet that's when you know like the lads are looking 1976, I've called that women's lib. That's when I go down and more women go down. 1979, which ties in with society, when the the younger lads went from just mugging and selling a bit of weed to shotgun crime and things like that, and held up the first supermarket. But the first night they come down wearing safari jackets, so I've called that the rise of the safari jackets. And then in 1981, uh, we lost the club to first civil war caused by an affair that a flat jackets woman had with a safari jackets woman and then gang war that was caused by a safari jacket having an affair with the Cheatham Hill guys woman which so it's proper like West Side story. So it's <laughs> a fantastic story that we've got to tell. but there's a reason we're in that hole as well because nobody what he does
1: right. And so um, this this podcast. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, um, the site is now live, Linda. So what is what is the uh, the, the address for people uh, to check out the site?
0: It's not live until Monday, the 17th. <laughs> right, um, and it's called the site is called thereno.live. But feel free, Travis to give out my email at the end. You know, if people want to get involved and you know, like chat on the line, chat to me. I'm up for it. And also follow me at Linda Brogan fifty nine.
1: Yeah, any yeah any uh, uh, information you want to share, Linda? Uh, feel free. Whether it's whether it's email. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. F- go ahead. and Feel free to share that.
0: Yeah, it's Linda. At, it's the longest email in the world. It's Linda at Linda Brogan. L I N D A B R O G A N dot wanna do dot co
1: dot uk. And I'd love to hear from you. Fantastic. And, and before before we go, Linda. Um, where are you right now? What is what is inspiring you? What's motivating you? Um, um, what's what's getting you excited every day?
0: Power. And that's not a negative thing because t- I love watching myself grow, Travis. Do you know, like, I love that I was frightened to ring up Manchester. Oh, I forgot to tell you, didn't I? Because we're going to, like, do our gorgeous, like, collect the stories on the website and then we're going to like um, dig the club up next year but then we're going to, on an open night at the end of the dig when we find the club and that we're going to have like a really gorgeous event where we go into the the open ground and we're all going to, you know like when you see cave handprints where they blow okra yeah. we're all going to put an okra handprint in the club and a descendant of anybody who is already dead, we're going to put a um, at Okehampton in the club and then we're going to seal it back up and in three or four hundred years when nobody knows they'll just think it was sacred which we think that club was sacred to us Right Yeah yeah, so where I am and then after that, everything, all the archive that we've collected, all the photographs, all the artefacts we might find in the hole, in the club and whatever is going to be exhibited in Manchester Museum as a civilization, because there's this whole other layer that I'd love you to read about where there was these three top tables, you know where the top drug dealers sat and it could take as long as three years to get across this club which is about <laughs> what you which is minute when I seen it the other day, because we did a testing the other day to make sure anything was still there and we found, we found the back wall. So, oh, wow. yeah, so there's all that, you know, like there's all this civ- So it's going to be exhibited in Manchester Museum as a civilisation. But where I am today and what I love about myself is each of them phone calls I had to make, like to Manchester Museum or Salford Archaeological Department, I was a frightened little moss-eyed girl. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, just like I've got this crazy idea of what I did at this club, and but each, each time I've gone through something, I've grown and I've grown and I've grown, and I want my own kind to see that that is possible.
1: Mm. And you're wanting to help other people uh, feel that same power, correct?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, because the other day, this guy was driving past when we were doing the testing. This guy pulled up and he said, you have stole my idea. You know, this guy that used to go to a club called Ewan, you stole my idea. But his question after that was, how did you do it? Because from my background, you have not got the power to do them things. And that was the moment that I loved it truly, because I thought, well, I can tell you now how I did it every single step of the way
1: that's fantastic fantastic yeah well well, linda this has just been so interesting and so inspiring uh thank you so much for for taking the time to share it with the audience oh thank
0: you for listening to me i've really enjoyed it and it's lovely to tell you know to get your story out it's really lovely
1: yes well you definitely have a story and uh, when we connected for the first time through email there was definitely a story here and, uh, and I know there's even more to the story. And uh, I'm excited about uh, uh, the Reno project. And, um, uh, and yeah, uh, it, for those of you who are listening to this right now, um, uh, I, I'm making sure that I'm posting this, Linda, uh, once the site is live so they can go and check out the site right now. Oh, thank you. You got it. Well, thank you so much, Linda. Uh, thanks for jumping on the weekly app.
0: Travis it's been an absolute pleasure my shot I am not thrown away my shot you know i'm just like my country I'm young scrappy and hungry and I'm not thrown away my shot I'm gonna get a scholarship to King's College a publish